together in the house of the Lord, and it's always good to be reminded, even though we should know it by now, that the Lord is good. Um, He intends good for His people. He does nothing but good, and He gives good gifts to His children. And with that, we are so grateful that you've joined us today for, for worship, whether you're sitting here in front of us or whether you're joining us online. It is a pleasure to worship with you today as you join us at Cross Timber. If you're a member, it's good to see you. If you're visiting, it's great to have you back. And if you're online, um, do your best to, to pay attention and, um, and listen in. And maybe you'll get something else done if you're a multitasker. Um, this morning um, is just a few short days before um, a holiday that, that I think is, is very um, 
very special, and that's, that's Veteran Days, Veterans Day, which we'll celebrate on, on Wednesday, a time when we, we say thank you for the men and women that have chosen to place um, the greater good above their own, that have chosen to, to, uh, to live a life of, of service and devotion um, to their country and to their fellow man, and that place their, really, literally their lives on the line to defend freedom around the world whether here in the United States or in places near and places far. So if, if you are here with us this morning and you have served um, our country um, in one of the branches of the military, I, we would like to, to honor you this morning. So would you, just, would you just stand for just a moment? We want to. David, step on in here. We want to see you. We want to recognize you. We want to say praise the Lord for those that have served. And as you, thank you, gentlemen, and as you men stand, we also think of those that are still um, standing, those that weren't able to be here with us this morning, and those that, that stand in places around the world so that we can still enjoy the freedoms that we, we do. So a happy Veterans Day to you as we honor you. I want to just mention a few brief things before Glenna comes and, and shares a little bit about our Mary Hill Davis offering for State Missions. First, just to continually remind you that men's breakfast Monday morning, 6.30 at the Elk Diner. If you are so inclined, pun intended, um, Sow and Grow is this Tuesday, November the 10th, 1 to 4. If you want to see if you can get into some trouble with um, needle and thread, um, join Glenna and the ladies here for Sow and Grow. Um, If you enjoy chocolate, jars, and some French word called decoupage, um, which has to do with glue and paper. It's a fancy word for glue and paper to something. Um, we are going to be preparing um, blessing items for the faculty at Nichols Middle School. Um, that will be November the 12th. That's at 1.30, and you can join um, Deborah Williamson here at the church along with others to work on that project. And also, just a reminder, if you have not picked up a plastic shoebox for Operation Christmas Child, there are still some available. There are brochures that give us instructions about how to pack a shoebox, and we'll be collecting those um, next Sunday morning. So if you've already brought those, there's just a place out in the hall for those. But that's just a way that we can share the hope of Jesus through a simple gift. But now, Glenna, why don't you come on up, and Glenna's going to share just a little bit about our Mary Hill Davis offering. There's not very many of us this morning, but I wanted to remind you that our Mary Hill Davis offering is very important, and we made a very, uh, the Mission Council made a very modest offering goal this year of $2,000, and we haven't reached that yet. But have you been interested when you see the hurricanes that hit Louisiana and the news media also always gets on there and says, well, Texas Baptist men are geared up and ready to go. And they've been three times now to Louisiana. We support those men through our Mary Hill Davis offering. And we haven't given them much support this year. And then, you remember, several years ago, I had a young lady named Pooty Sock come and talk to us about our uh, mission offering because it was Mary Hill Davis time 
And she was at that time an intern at UTA. Well, she is now married and a mom and expecting her second one. And she is still at UTA, and she's now the assistant director of the BSM. And I stay in touch with her and with Gary, the director of BSM there. And even though there has been COVID-19 shutdown, they have continued ministering and witnessing to students on the campus. And they really target international students. Because if one student from a country comes here and takes the Lord back with them, we've got another missionary, whether they're called that or not. We're all supposed to be missionaries, of course, but when they have received the Lord here, they go back and they are on fire. And already this year, despite the COVID restrictions, they have carried on at the at the at UTA, the BSM has carried on Bible studies through Zoom and through one-on-one interactions with people. And the last count, there was over between 11 and 20 that had made professions of faith. They, too, are um, helped through the Mary Hill Davis offering. So if you are at home and you haven't sent in your Mary Hill Davis offering, I hope you will, because we're... A little, a little less than $400 away from our goal, but it's a very modest goal. And if you think that you could give up a Starbucks for a couple of days or whatever your uh, passion is, to give it to Mary Hill Davis offering. I know we've got the Operation Christmas Child coming up, but we can't forget this offering because it funds so much. And I hope and pray that you will decide today to give a little bit more, even if you've already given, And if you haven't given, that you'll open up that pocketbook and pledge a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you, Glenna, for sharing that. Um, There are so many needs and and so many folks that are out working to meet those needs, and we're thankful for those that that work right here in our own state for those missions. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Nehemiah chapter 9, the 5th and 6th verse. And... The words there say, Blessed be the Lord, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. We have opportunity, really, as believers to pray anytime we want. We have 24-hour-a-day access to the throne room of heaven. But there's something unique and special about God's people gathering together in, in prayer. And we have the privilege to do that this morning, to pray to the only God, the one who created all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, to ask for His guidance, to ask for His hand of healing to work, to ask for his blessing upon those that are his children and to bring revival and renewal um, to those in our land. And so I just ask that you would would join with us. There are several um, in our church family that are are battling um, illness, that are under the weather or have other physical ailments. We want to, to remember those, even though we won't call them by name, but the Lord knows. So just pray for, for our country, 
pray for our world, pray for areas like Honduras that have been um, ravaged by torrential rains and flooding, and we'll deal with the aftermath of that for, for years to come. But will you join us as we pray? Father, we thank you this day that you are the only God. There's no one like you. There's no one beside you that you are exalted above all and that you deserve all our blessing and all our praise. And so, Lord, we say bless your glorious name this morning. We thank you that we can gather together in your name to bring glory to you. We thank you that through our prayers and through our giving that we have a part in what you're doing literally around the world. And so help us with glad hearts to be generous with what we've been blessed with, that we can be a blessing to others, whether that's through supporting our state missions through supporting Operation Christmas Child or or giving to needs around the world. Lord, we thank you that nothing escapes your your gaze. And for those that are sick in in our church family, in our community, we pray for your healing. We pray for your strength for their bodies. Pray for wisdom for them. Or we pray for continued wisdom and guidance as we navigate through a pandemic. As we watch the news, we see that Case numbers are rising, and Lord, we, we don't want to give place to fear, but we want to trust in you for wisdom, and we ask for that. And Lord, we ask for guidance and for healing. We pray for the nation of Honduras that has been inundated with rain and flooding, and you see pictures of just streets covered with water, and it's dirty and it's muddy, and, and there's people that are hungry and they're needy. And so, Lord, help those that that bring relief, whether it's missionaries or other organizations. Lord, give them the finances they need, the resources they need. And, Lord, help those that that see to not just look away, but to do what they can. And, Lord, we do pray for our country. Lord, in a a world that we live in now where we can look around and, and say that probably half the people don't agree with what we agree with, and they can look back and say the other half doesn't agree with us. Lord, we, we know that the only solution is you. That you are the one that can fulfill our deepest needs. You're the one that can bring, um, bring unity. That you can bring peace. That you can bring salvation. And so in the midst of this, we pray for the strengthening of believers to live the faith that they claim. And for those that don't know you, that you would open their eyes and they would turn to you. And Lord, this morning, help us to turn our hearts toward you. In these days and in these moments, it's so easy to become distracted or worried. But Lord, help us in these few minutes that we have while we're singing praises and we're listening to your word to focus on you. And Lord, help us to say with our hearts, speak to us, O Lord, for your servant is listening. Help us to hear your voice and respond to you in trust and love. And we pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
sure don't sing like a bunch of mask-wearing Baptists. I'll tell you what. Woo! And y'all clapped. Praise the Lord. Wow. It's great to, to worship together with, with God's people. And we may be small in number this morning, but strong in, in spirit and in passion for the Lord as He chooses to be in the presence of His people. And he inhabits the praise of his people. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 10 today as we continue on looking at studies from the book of, of Joshua. And I want to just start with a question for you this morning. And the question is simply this. Who is fighting your battles? Now, I want you to be honest. We can be honest with one another. Everyone is fighting something or some things, plural. Because there's constant conflict all around us. Some of it's in the varying circumstances of life, things that are caused by our own actions, some things that are beyond our control. Relationships are strained. There's financial challenges Maybe you're dealing with an illness, or maybe your health is just not what it used to be or what you hope it would be. And you look around, and you, you see on the, the television, you see it in the streets, there's just tension, there's division all around us. And then there's those spiritual forces that are at work. Satan always working to steal, to kill, and destroy his evil army, those forces of evil that are out there just trying to cause as much mayhem as possible to stir up dissension, to cause trouble, to cause us to to doubt and disbelieve. And then a little more personally, there's those inner conflicts where we struggle daily with our own flesh and where many times we're our own worst enemy. And as one singer said, the battle many times is just you against you against you. And we struggle with doubts. We struggle with desires, things we wish we didn't desire but we do. Things that we wish we could desire but we don't. Temptations that we struggle with that we some days experience victory and some days we face defeat. And then there's those challenges that are ever-present. And we try our best, oh my goodness, to do 
what we can on our own. And sometimes we find something that works and we have a little bit of temporary success. But really, if we are honest, in the end, we soon come to the end of what we can do. And we need someone that we can depend on. But let me share with you something that's very exciting. You don't have to fight on your own. In fact, there is someone who is willing to fight for you. There's someone who died to fight for you. And the exciting news is that today, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, the Lord fights for you. Sounds too good to be true, but it's not. The Lord fights for His people. And we're going to see in the story today, Joshua chapter 10, that the Lord fights for His people, Israel. And hopefully we can draw the conclusion that we can trust the same God to fight for us. So let me just propose this to you. In the world, in a world filled with constant conflict, believers must depend daily on God's goodness. A world that's filled with constant conflict requires believers to depend daily on God's goodness. And the Lord fights for you. Would you just join me as we read God's Word together? Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. The writer says, As soon as Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and became, because it was greater than Ai, and its men were warriors. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoam, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. And as they fled before Israel, while, all, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones 
than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to study it together this morning. And we ask for you to give us insight, to bring truth to light. Help us to see what we need to know. What you're saying to us as individuals and allow us to let it sink into our souls, to trust you in faith and allow it to transform us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in a world that we live in right now that's filled with constant conflict, believers must depend daily on God's goodness. We're going to look at these 15 verses, and we're going to see three things, and I'm just going to give you a warning up front. The order in your bulletin is a little different than the order that I'm going to be proceeding with, but it's only flipping two numbers, and I think you'll figure it out. But we're going to look at a problem. We're going to look at God's power, and we're going to look at Joshua's prayer. And we're going to see how God fights for His people. And so the first thing we need to look at is the problem of the Gibeonites. You see, in chapter 9, we're introduced to these people, the Gibeonites, and they hear about how Joshua and the Israelites have conquered Jericho, have conquered Ai, and so they come up with a plan. They're going to trick Joshua and the people of Israel. They're going to use deception to protect themselves from destruction. So what do they do? They pretend to be foreigners even though they really live in the land and they actually are enemies. And in chapter 9, verse 4, it says that on their part, acted, they acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men, We have come from a distant land, so now make a covenant with us. And so they pretend that they've been on this long journey, their clothes are worn out, they're really just from next door, and they come and they want to make a treaty. And so Joshua and the people, the writer's careful to tell us that they failed to seek counsel from the Lord and they believe the, the trick. They enter into a treaty. Later on, Joshua discovers the truth that they're really neighbors and not foreigners. Verse 16 tells us that at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And so Joshua and the people punished them. They cursed them to be servants. They're forced to carry the water and to cut the wood for the Israelites. 
So the Gibeonites are, are forced into this service. But even though they tricked them and they punishment, they were punished, the treaty that Joshua and the people made was still in effect. Because treaties in those days were a formal oath, really not only a covenant between two nations, but when God's people were involved, it was a covenant between God and the people. And so breaking it had serious consequences. It was a sacred agreement. And if Israel broke their covenant, they would have to answer to God. And in this covenant, they were responsible to protect Gibeon and to keep peace with Gibeon. And one day, we get to chapter 10, the Gibeonites make a call for help. They dial 911. They need help. We're in trouble. Because the king of Jerusalem hears about the defeated Ai and the treaty with the Gibeonites. And they're afraid of what might happen. So this king of Jerusalem, Adoni Zedek, forms an alliance to punish Gibeon. And in verse 5 of chapter 10, we see that these five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So five armies against the Gibeonites, they are in trouble, and they say, come quickly, save us, help us. These messengers show up at Gilgal to tell Israel that they need help. Now, what do Joshua and the people do? They respond quickly. They honor their end of the covenant, and they offer their help to do what they can to save Gibeon. In fact, verse 7 tells us they went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And all the language points to the fact that they just hastily came to their aid. There was no, let us think about it, we need to form a council. No, when they heard the cry for help, they got up and they acted. What's a little bit interesting about this part of the story is we're ten chapters into the book of Joshua, and this is the first time that there's been any resistance formed against God's people. Now, granted, they've attacked an ally, but it's still, it's the people in the land rising up to try to take action against what Israel is doing. The Gibeonites had fooled Joshua and the people. They didn't seek counsel from the Lord. And now here they faced a battle with not just one army, but five armies. But in the midst of the deception of the Gibeonites, the misstep of the people not listening to God or seeking Him, God still had a plan. He would be with His people. He would use these circumstances for His purposes and in the end, they would experience victory. It's a reminder that I think we always need to remember is that God sees victory when we can only see defeat. And one battle lost does not mean the war is over. Because God can even use times when we mess up. And if you're like me, mess up a lot. He can use those times for His purposes. And God gives assurance to Joshua that I'm going to use this because He says to Joshua in verse 8, Don't fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So you have trickery, you have 
a mistake, but then you have the assurance that God is with them. He is going to continue to work for His people. That's the graciousness of God at work, that the Lord would be on their side. And so with this wind blowing in their sails, the excitement that God is with them, Joshua and the men will march all night, about 20 miles from Gibeon to Gil, from Gilgal to Gibeon. And they arrive in the early morning, eastern sun at their back, for a surprise attack. And they're going to see that the Lord, their God, is about to fight for His people. That God's power, and God's power alone, would prevail. The Amorites, the enemy, would be defeated. And they would see the second thing we need to look at, an incredible display of the power of God. You see, this battle is all about what God did for His people. There's no unique strategy. There's no craftiness on the part of Joshua and the people. It's God moving and acting on behalf of His people. He's the main character. He's the hero, not only of this story, but really of the entire Bible. And the actions in this story, the things He did for His people, we can't deny them. It's without question. We've already saw that he spoke to Joshua. And when he did, he spoke a word of peace. He said, do not fear them. You know, honestly, when we can get a hold of the truth that the Lord is on our side, there's really no need to fear anyone or anything but him and him alone. And the fear there is totally different. It's a, it's a reverence. It's an awe. It's not a, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And when we have that assurance, we can be at peace Regardless of the circumstances, it can be health, it can be finances, it can be relationships, it can be the political landscape of the country. We can be at peace because we know that God is in charge. That Jesus, the one who is the Prince of Peace, made peace between God and man. That He's gracious and He puts peace in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and He enables us to live peaceful lives. Peace in our hearts. Peace with people around us. He gives peace, but God also made a promise. We can't miss it. I have given them into your hand. And He follows it up. Not a man of them shall stand before you. He's given them the promise of His presence. And you notice all through the book of Joshua, all through the story of God's people, when God's presence is with them, nothing can stand against them. All the way back in chapter 1, Joshua starts hearing these words of assurance from God. I'll be with you. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He's experienced it. They crossed over the Jordan. The walls of Jericho fell down. They defeated Ai. They messed up, but God forgave them. And now... God is going to give them another victory because He is with His people. And it comes from this display of God's power. Now I want to draw your attention to verse 10. It says, And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah. And Makeda. See, it was the Lord who took 
the initiative, who took the action. He's the one who brought confusion on the enemy so many times when God's people went to battle. The Lord caused confusion among the enemy. It says it threw them into a panic, struck them with a great blow, chased after them, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. See, Joshua and Israel were there for the battle, but it was God who was doing the fighting. Now, if you have an NIV in front of you this morning, or maybe a New Living Translation or some other translation, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. My Bible says that all of these things, that it says that Israel struck and Israel chased and Israel struck them as far as Ezekiah and Megiddo. And there's a difference in some translations. Most translations, the English Standard and the New American Standard and others, show all of these actions as if God did them. But some helpful translators along the way decided, well, that doesn't really make sense. So they put that into the person of Israel taking those actions. It makes sense to do that because it's military history and we tend to look at that from a perspective of man. But if you look at the original language, it's very clear in all the verbs that it's God's action all the way through. God fought the battle. Israel was there, but God did the striking. God did the chasing. God brought the confusion. God brought the victory. Reminds me that whether we realize it or we acknowledge it, God's hand is at work all around us. Now, many times we take the credit and we don't give God His credit or we just try to explain it away as human ingenuity chance or maybe an act of nature. But the truth is simply this, that the Lord gave the Amorites into the hands of Joshua and the Israelites, and he would be the one that would give them the victory. Now, he shows his power not only by bringing this confusion, but there's two other miracles that are just flat out incredible. First, it rains hailstones down on the Amorites. If you look at the second part of verse 11, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. Hailstones that are often symbols in Scripture of acts of judgment are, are cast down. And it says that more people died from the hailstones than from the sword of Israel. Now, it's a bit miraculous to me because I don't know if you've ever been in a hailstorm or around in a hailstorm, but generally a hailstorm is not really, doesn't really care what's in its path. It just hits everything. It hits the new car. It hits the old car. You know, it hits the roof that needs to be replaced. It hits the roof that doesn't need to be replaced. But here, the stones seem to only strike the enemy and not Israel. So a cloud comes over, hailstones come down, and it's just striking and killing the Amorites. It's pretty incredible, but there's something that's even more incredible. The day is lengthened so the battle could be completed. Look at verse 13. The sun stood still, the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Now, if you're like me, you probably have thought at some point that, man, 
this day is never going to end. Or, on the other side, you wish today could last forever, right? Just a little more daylight, just another hour. It's so great. It's so incredible. But I've never seen a day last more than 24 hours. It's exactly what happened here. Joshua requested more daylight so I can finish the fight. God, we're winning. We just need a little more time. And God responds. You can read in different commentaries and dictionaries. There are several attempts to try to explain the miracle. Each of them probably has difficulties, both biblical and scientific, which kind of makes it even more remarkable that scientists can't explain how he did it. But God did. Whether he slowed the rotation of the earth or he just caused the sun to stand still for a moment. And I kind of wonder sometimes if we haven't lost touch with the miraculous in our day. We're people that want an explanation for everything. We question and we try to apply reason to it. And sometimes we just need to stand back and say, God, thank you for doing what you did. We fail to apply the gift he's given us of faith and to trust God for for great things. Listen to what writer C.S. Lewis commented about miracles. The mind which asks for an, the non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapse from Christianity into mere religion. How that we would trust God for great things in our day. Because you look at verse 14 and the writer tells us that this was no ordinary day. There was no easy explanation. There has been no day like it before or since. Yeah, we saw hailstones. Yeah, the sun stopped. But what made it so remarkable, the writer says, The Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. God heard the request from Joshua and he responded. And the Lord fought the battle. He fought for Israel. Why? Because of the prayer of Joshua. Now the word prayer is not mentioned there. It just says Joshua spoke to the Lord. But I love that. Because prayer is simply conversation with God. It's speaking. It's listening. It's a gift that God has given us out of a relationship with Jesus. It's spending time praising Him, thanking Him, speaking to Him, listening to Him, calling out when we have a time of need, asking for His forgiveness and receiving His love and acceptance. And so Joshua's need was more time. The battle was going their way. God was working, but darkness was coming. And so Joshua prayed, and Joshua had faith, and he trusted that God would intervene. He believed the one who made the sun and made the moon would come to his aid. You see, just like we use gas to fuel our car, faith fuels 
prayer. When we truly believe that God can do what the Bible says He can, we'll pray and ask largely. And Joshua used this weapon of prayer, this great glorious weapon that God has given us of prayer. And he speaks to God and he speaks and he says, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Some people find it problematic that Joshua addresses the sun and the moon directly. Um, I think it can be implied without too much work that he is calling on God who made those things to work. And the miracle of prayer is that God listens and that Joshua trusted and we can trust in the God who keeps promises. Listen in Psalm 91, just, just a couple of verses 14 and 15 talking about our Lord. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. Joshua called. The Lord answered. The Lord was with Joshua in a time of trouble and the Lord brought rescue to His people. Because Joshua trusted that God's promises were true. And that caused him to act on his faith and to obey what God had commanded. He knew in his heart that God would help. He relied on the goodness of God. He trusted in Him to fight His battle. And today, in a world that's filled with constant conflict, We have to daily depend on God's goodness. Circumstances change. Some days they're what we think they should be. Other days they may not be what we like or what we hoped. Opposition is still all around us. It can be in our family. It can be struggling in a family relationship. It can be between friends or neighbors. It can be between co-workers for other people. And there's no doubt that the spiritual forces of darkness are working. They are against us. The battle is raging all around us and we have to wonder what can we do? What's our part? The battle belongs to the Lord, but our part in the battle first starts with faith. That we believe that God is the one who gives Victory. That even though circumstances may not seem favorable, the numbers may not be on our side, we can trust that He is working. That He is at work in us and for us. And that ultimately we're placing faith in a person. And that person is Jesus. The one who is the way and the truth and the life, the one who is the great I am and the one who will put all things under His feet. So faith, prayer, these aren't new discoveries. They're needed reminders. Our most powerful weapon is prayer. But many times the most, the least used weapon we have is prayer. We worry. We doubt, we complain, we try to figure it out on our own when we should really spend time praying. 
And then Joshua, the writer, says, There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Every time I pray and God answers, it's a miracle. It's a blessing. Every time you pray and you hear God answer or you see God move, it's a blessing. It's a miracle. The fact that He knows my name, the fact He knows your name, the fact that He hears you when you call, and that He answers your cries for help and sins rescue. When we pray, God moves for His glory and for His people. We have faith, we have prayer, and then we have obedience. Now let me just say two things about that. First of all, obedience doesn't mean perfection. That we can be imperfectly obedient, and we are. Only one, the Lord Jesus, was obedient in every way at all times. But when we do mess up, and we do often, when we do disobey, it's best just to own up to it as quickly as we can. Say, God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. To turn from that and to receive His forgiveness because disobedience doesn't have to be permanent. Anybody walking in disobedience right now, regardless of how you want to flavor that disobedience, has the opportunity to turn from that to obedience. It doesn't have to be permanent. So when you hear somebody say, or you say to yourself, I'm always going to be this way, it's not true. It's not true. Our disobedience doesn't have to be permanent. Because we have the opportunity to turn and repent. And here's like the bonus kind of over the top of all this. is that God gives us His Holy Spirit to help us want to be obedient. To help us to be obedient to help us to do the things that we don't want to do that we need to do. You see, today the truth is the Lord is fighting for you. He's relentless. His love is boundless. And in the end, He is victorious. The Lord is fighting for you. Will you trust Him today? Can we pray together? Oh Lord, we pause today and we are thankful for the simple truth that You fight for us. That You died for us. That in giving Your life what seemed like defeat, what turned into victory when You rose from the dead, that we too can walk in victory today. And so my prayer this morning is that that would be an encouragement to those in need of encouragement. That they can experience victory in you. That you are fighting for them and that they can 
continue to trust and believe in faith and not give up. But God, I'm also reminded of how this word speaks to those that are fighting on their own. As they struggle with doubts, as they look for truth, as they try to find hope and satisfaction in so many things and they come up empty and they keep looking for the next thing or the next thing. And somewhere along the way, they've believed the lie that what you've taught them is not true. That those Sunday school classes, color pages, dry marker boards, glue, glitter, flannel graph, opening up their Bible and hearing your word. That can't be true. But God, I pray for that person this morning. That they would hear clearly your voice and they would know that you're fighting for them. And that you don't let go and that you don't give up. And for the person that this all just seems strange to, that they've never realize that God would fight for them, that they have questions about, about faith and belief in, in Jesus. We are grateful that today is the day that they can call you Lord. That the mistakes of the past, the disobedience, the troubles and the heartaches can be left at your feet and that we can turn to you in repentance and we can say, Jesus, I, I let go of that and I grab hold of you. I need you and I want you to fight for me today. So Lord, I thank you that you bring hope to the needy heart. And a hope that never disappoints. So Lord, guide us as we listen to your voice that we would respond in a way that pleases you and we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we prepare to sing together. Just a simple reminder to the believer that the Lord is fighting for you, can bring refreshing and can bring strengthening, and that may give you the strength, the encouragement, the challenge to just lift up what you're struggling with to the Lord afresh and anew, and you may want to do that while we sing. It could be that you're interceding, you're standing in the gap for a family member, a friend that needs to be reminded afresh and anew that this this is real. That this word is life and that God is fighting for them. And you may need to, to come to the front and pray for them. You may pray for them where you are. Or maybe today, for the first time, this stuff just clicked and made sense. And maybe you'll listen to this. You're listening to this now or later and you'll, you'll say, I'd like to know this, this Jesus, this God that fights for me. And you can today. It's simple, trusting faith. Turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus. It's that simple. We're going to sing a song together. It may also be today that today's the day God said, you know, hey, this is the place I want you to plant to be a part of this body, this fellowship. And we'd love for you to join with us in that adventure. But I do invite you to stand with us as we sing and we trust you to respond to the Lord as He speaks. So let's sing together.
You give life, you 